0: Good morning. I went the wrong way there. You guys look pretty good? For people that look like you look? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Having a little fun. Yeah, that's exactly what I deserve. That's good. I do that to my kids all the time. Wow, Thanksgiving's already here. Can anyone tell me what happened this year? Oh my goodness, this thing is going so fast. Ripping by. So... I cannot believe we are at our last message and starting point. This is an eight-message series, and we are on message eight today. We have had a lot of fun through this thing, though. We scared everyone to death the first couple of messages, and we meant to. We enjoyed it very much. <laughs> so let's see. Let's kind of review where we've been. You ever, don't you love it when the substitute teacher comes in or someone comes into the class and they begin to review everything? So let's review real quick. We started with something happened. And uh, this, this whole thing called Christianity had a starting point somewhere. And that was the whole point of the series is that as you, uh, as you may have started with your faith as a child, you may have grown up in a home that had a faith and, and they handed that faith to you. But as you matured and as you got older and, and adulthood began to arrive, if your faith didn't mature with the rest of your life, Then you begin to have doubts your faith begin to deteriorate and what most people do is they just abandon their faith They just don't want to deal with it So they just go off and deal with more pressing matters But then there's always these seasons of life that come around and you're like I really need to rethink my faith I need to Come back to this and so that's what this series has been about. It's about starting a little differently starting from another place. And so that's where the first message was. We talked about the fact that something happened. Then we talked about mistakers versus sinners because we all, all of us will own up that we're not perfect and we'll own up to saying, hey, well, I've made a few mistakes. But we talked about how the, the problem was a little deeper than that. And maybe that sometimes we make mistakes on purpose and those mistakes impact people and there's not much we can do to make that right. So we talked about mistakers versus sinner, uh, sinners. Then we talked about gaining God's approval. How do I get God to like me? Then we talked in rules. We talked about rules because everyone thinks religions about rules. So is God about rules? And if he is, what kind of rules is he about? Is it a family model or a club model? Then we talked about what can wash away my sin, and uh, we talked about the blood of Jesus. How that he could, the blood of Christ can get rid of this problem of uh, being a sinner versus a. Mistaker. Pastor Steve talked about amazing grace. And then it seemed like I'd be getting away with something maybe. And so we, we discussed grace and what that meant. Last Sunday we talked about the journey song. No, no, that wasn't right. We talked about faith and don't stop believing. And we we really honed in on that simple truth. It has to start with whether or not you have to make a conscious decision about whether or not Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and if he did rise from the dead, then that would mean he is exactly who he said he was, and that Christianity would not exist today because everyone lost their faith when Jesus died. Christianity wouldn't exist today if something hadn't have happened. So today, now by the way, before I go on, we have videos, we have sermons, we have study guides, you could take an entire weekend, get some popcorn, some butter, some Pepsi-Cola... And you could watch Steve and I on video for eight straight hours talk about Starting Point. It sounds like a great time. Maybe not invite me, but it sounds like a great time. <laughs> it's available on our website under Starting Point. It's in the main menu, and it's also on YouTube, so you can, you can check that out. And you, can, you don't have to miss the series if you wanted to binge Steve and Michael for a weekend, which I can't think of anything more nauseating than that. So anyway... So the day we come to our last message, it's entitled The Invitation, and you'll see why as we move into the end of it, but we have one more piece of evidence to support everything that's happened. One more thing that we need to consider uh, if we're going to make that decision about whether or not Jesus Christ actually did rise from the dead, and if he is exactly who he says he is. One more thing I'll add here, I've said before, but I want to I just drive this home This is a great place to start a conversation with people that may not agree with you. They may not accept your Bible. They may not accept your faith. They may not accept your church. But we can start with Jesus. And if a person can decide that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, then that gives credence to everything that Jesus said. And then we can have a discussion. Does that make sense? So this is a great... Predicted that something would happen. That a gathering would gather and a movement would move. And so... Today we are going to talk about that movement, a movement that outlasted by thousands of years the oppressive government in which it was born, the Roman Empire. And so today we're going to look at that, we're going to look at a passage in Matthew. So let's think about something that Jesus predicted. Jesus predicted something that we've come to call the church. Now I'm going to adjust our thinking on the church as we walk through today a little bit. At least I'm going to give you some new things to think about. But Jesus was with his disciples. They were about 150 miles away from Jerusalem in a, near an area called, a, a town called Caesarea Philippi. They're, they're outside the city, looking over the city. I think I have a picture. At the time, it was a beautiful metropolis. People around. Right now, not so much going on. I think the Dairy Queen closed or something. And so... That's, that's what it looks like today. <clears throat> and they're outside this city. Now, this city, Caesarea Philippi, is named after Caesar Augustus, who was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, who was considered to be a god. So Caesar Augustus, who the town's named after, by the way, the name was changed about the time Jesus got his learner's permit, about to 14, somewhere there. And, uh, and so... Caesar Augustus, who the town is named after, is the son of a dead God. And So Jesus is outside the city, looking at the city of the son of a dead God, and Jesus tees up a question. He was very good at teeing up questions. And he looks at the twelve, and he says to them, Who do you guys think I am? And so Jesus sets these questions up, and you really should climb into the mood. They're outside of a city, named after a guy who's considered a son of God. And the disciples, you know, they begin to throw out, well, you know, some people think you're this, and some people that, and, you know, Jesus is like, no, 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 who do you think I am? And then one of my favorite disciples, uh, the Apostle Peter, steps up and opens his big mouth, and this time he gets it right. And that's the great thing about being a big mouth, every now and then we're right. <laughs> we always think we're right, but every now and then we actually are right, and those are good days, and those are the ones we remember. Hey, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so good. Thank you, London. <laughs> so Peter comes up and he says, You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Don't miss that. Because they're outside the city of the son of a dead God. That's right. And and everyone gets it. Everyone in the group understands where where this is going. And so Peter he wins, he wins the prize, you know, he flips over the right tile, or whatever. You're the son of the living God, and Jesus is impressed. And Jesus looks at him and he says, You didn't you did not come up with this one by yourself. And he gives us this famous passage out of Matthew 16. He says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, parenthesis, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, all the powers of hell. Will not conquer it. Now, if you grew up Catholic, you interpret that one way. If you grew up Protestant or evangelical or charismatic, you, you interpret that rock passage another way. And what I would like to do with that particular part of this verse is not talk about it. Okay, y'all just do your thing and just don't fight about it here. All right? What I want to focus on is the last part of the verse. Because he says, On this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer, will not conquer it, okay? Jesus promised that he would do something. And this is something that all Christians need to wrap their heads around. Jesus said he would do something. He would build his church. Now, Jesus likely spoke in Aramaic, something not English for sure. And so when Matthew, who writes this, was gathering his materials so he could write the gospel, he he's he's writing it in Greek which is the more common language at the time and and he chooses a Greek word now guys I'm Greek is Greek to me so I don't reference it a lot you know but there are a few Greek words that mean that are very significant and this is one of them and it's the Greek word ekklesia ekklesia is not a church word it was not a religious word it was not a Jewish word it's a Roman word okay in fact Uh, how how you could understand Ecclesia is if if a representative from Rome had come to a city like Caesarea Philippi with word from the laws and the customs and the uh, the dictates from Rome and come to the city of Caesarea Philippi and gathered the people like a town hall meeting to tell them what Rome had decided that would be an Ecclesia it's an assembly gathered to learn The rules and cultures of the kingdom in which they live, and then go live them. That's the Roman secular word that that Matthew picked. Okay? So Matthew was there, heard Jesus say it in Aramaic, and he picks this this Roman, uh, this uh, Greek word, ecclesia, to describe what Jesus Christ says. And so I think what Jesus was saying was I will build my assembly, my gathering. He takes credit, he takes responsibility for doing it. He says it's something that he will do. So the word ecclesia means to gather, to assemble, or, to, or a congregation. Now, here's what happened, though. This happened a couple of times. This word ecclesia got, it didn't fit the political times. And so, uh, when you come along into the Latin Vulgate and some other interpretees, so the, the disciples wrote all this stuff down in their language, and then later it got interpreted into other languages. And in one of the German translations, the word ecclesia, which meant assembly, got translated church, which meant house of meeting. And that, people began to think of the church as a building, a structure. Now, William Tyndale came along and he put together his translation of the Bible, and most of the Bibles today are based on Tyndale's work. And when he did it, he found the word ecclesia. And his mind was blown. And so instead of translating Jesus' word as I will build my church, he he translated it as I will build my congregation. And the church loved it. They strangled him and burned him at the stake. <laughs> I'm not kidding. When King James actually uh, commissioned the first government translation of the Bible, King James Bible, he ordered that the translators not use the word congregation or assembly. He ordered them to use the word church for referencing a building because he wanted control over those kinds of things. And so we have over the years, and it's faded in the last many years, but for many years, people associated church with a structure. Stained glass, domes, cathedrals, spires, all those kinds of things. Jesus will build his building was this misunderstanding that began to propagate for a long time. And over the last many decades, people began to realize now that's, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about buildings and structures, he was talking about people. Jesus said, I will build my people, my assembly, the, the ones who follow me. He predicted. That there would be a gathering of people who had one thing in common. It would not be their politics. It would not be their income. It would not be their trades or professions. Their thing, the one henchman that would hold them together was Jesus Christ himself. So every ecclesia that Jesus is building is a Jesus assembly. They assemble around and for Jesus. But he's the one who took responsibility to build it. You understand that he gave peter paul and john all the disciples a mission they were to go out and be witnesses and testify but he took responsibility to build the church but as we talked about last week he was dead he was dead no one believed not even his mama believed in jesus on friday of his death because everything he taught was dependent upon him being alive He's the one who says, I'm going to build the church. He doesn't tell you to do it. He says he will do it. Your job is to be a witness, okay? So you have no Jesus. You have no no gatherings. You have no Jesus assembly. You have no ecclesia without Jesus Christ. No one thinks he's the Messiah on Friday. No Jesus, no ecclesia, no Jesus gatherings. You got it? Does that make sense? So last, last nail in the coffin of your unbelief, right? Well, I don't know if it'll be that or not. So, Jesus Christ dies, and he raises from the dead. Then he comes back, and he has another ecclesia, another gathering. He calls the disciples together, and the other believers that are around him. And he says this to them in Matthew 28. Now, Matthew 28, 18, after Jesus' death, the Bible tells us that Jesus came. He's back. And he told his disciples... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now hear that. Jesus is saying, I have been given all authority. That is a big statement. You understand how big that is, right? This is a huge statement. I've been given all authority. If I stood up before you and I said to you, I've been given all authority, you'd laugh me out of the room. There's no reason for you to believe that I've been given all authority. However... If I were Jesus, who had just told you, hey guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get arrested, condemned, I'm going to die, I'm going to be dead for three days, and then I'm going to raise from the dead. And I did exactly what I said I was going to do. And I stood before you and said, hey, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now all of a sudden, my word has credence. That's why this is so important for you to decide whether or not Jesus rose from the dead or not Because if you decide that he has rose from the dead if you choose that system of belief You're you're choosing a a, a conclusion as well The beginning's going to determine the end because now all of a sudden everything Jesus says matters But if you decide he didn't raise from the dead then nothing Jesus said matters That's why that starting point is so critical And so Jesus Christ says I have all authority over everything. His resurrection demolishes the authority of everything on earth. So, I have all authority over everything. Therefore. So I used to have a pastor say this all the time. I'll say it to you. It stuck with me. It might stick with you. Every time you see the word therefore, ask yourself, what's it there for? Okay? What's the therefore Therefore, Jesus is in here. I have all authority. Therefore. Okay. All right, this is going to be good, right? I mean, I'm, I'm standing here like, I can't wait. You're like, please hit the next slide. I cannot wait to see what the therefore is there for. I'm just glad you're just as excited as I am. What's he going to do with all authority? And I love this. I love, there are two times in this very text that Jesus just blows my mind. And he's standing there, I have all authority, therefore you, you go and make disciples of all nations Nations, not just neighbors, nations. The, the ecclesia's job is to disciple nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given them. You got to step into the disciples' shoes for a minute. I mean, it sounds really good. Pastors preach on, this is the Great Commission. I mean, a church that doesn't talk about the Great Commission I don't know what that actually is. Uh, you have to. This is the Great Commission. This is why we're here. Go and make disciples. But let's step back two thousand years. Jesus Christ is talking to the, the twelve and some other believers around him, and they look at each other. And the first thought I would have, knowing what I know about the disciples, is I looked at maybe Steve's over here, and he's John. I, I made you the one who loves Jesus the most. That's really I did you. I, I I'm going to take Peter because Peter, you know I'm like him. I got a big mouth, and so, and I would look at us, and we're fishermen, and a a tax collector, and a zealot, which is the extremist conservative political party, and 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 all we're just these blue collar guys we have no money no resources we're kind of dirty we probably haven't bathed in a few days we've been running for our lives a little bit from the roman government and from the pharisees and jesus says go and disciple nations and we're like i don't think we could even get across the street without you doing something jesus how are we we have nothing we're basically fugitives and had been fugitives for a long time but he says, I want you to go to every nation. They had no organization. There was no money behind them. There was no resources. And Jesus said, I want you to go. They didn't even have a Facebook page yet. You know, nothing. No influence, no status. Oh, I want you to teach those disciples and be sure of this. Oh, this is my favorite part. I mean, I love the therefore. I have all authority, so you go. I love that. And then the second thing he says is, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he laughed. I'm with you always, to the end of the age. See ya? (laughs) Didn't he just say, "What? what? Oh my goodness. I never said Jesus wasn't hard to wrap your head around. You know, I, I never said that at all. He, he taught a lot of stuff that was confusing and challenging and, and, and presented a, not just a new way of looking at the world, but a completely alien way of interpreting everything. And so now he looks at the disciples and says, okay, I want you to go out in the world. I want you to make disciples of nations, and I'm always with you. And so that's where we're at when Jesus ascends into heaven. So what happens? Well, I'm not going to go into it today, but Acts 2 happens. And Acts 2 is really important. Holy Spirit comes, and we'll talk about that in some coming series. But when the Holy Spirit came and filled the disciples, and, and Jesus accomplished his, basically the Holy Spirit coming is when Jesus accomplished his word, I will be with you always. Because Jesus became not a force on the outside trying to teach or guide people. He became an inhabitation of his people at that point. That's one of the many things the Holy Spirit is. But again, beyond our scope today, what, ha- that what's, what is part of our scope is that when that happened, the disciples who a few days before were uh, sitting in there, you know, looking at each other going, man, we smell, we have no authority, we have no money, we have no resources. I don't know how we are going to disciple nations. And then the Holy Spirit comes and all of a sudden these same guys walk out of the prayer meeting and they walk out in the community, and they begin they begin to preach a message. And it's not a message of like, hey, everyone needs to pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount and live better. And it's not a message of, hey, you need to, to go out and, and do better things and love one another, and you need to love God and love each other. The message was, God sent his son. You killed him. God raised him. We saw him. Now say so you're sorry. That was was the message. And then there were some other things in it where where Peter connects what's happening with Old Testament prophecy. But the point is, is that the ecclesia, the Jesus assembly, was launched that day. It took off that day. Awesome, here we go. These guys with no status, no resources. It doesn't matter now because now they have power And they began to tell people what happened. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rising from the dead, give credence and affirmation to everything Jesus said and did. And so now they're out there preaching, and the assembly began to assemble. If you read the book of Acts 1 translations, probably the King James says that there were several people that day that repented of their sins and trusted in the resurrection of Jesus, and that those people, when they did that, were added to the church... Because Jesus said, I will build my church. That's an important thing to remember. And the gatherings began to gather. Woohoo! That's it. It's history, right? No, there was a problem. The problem was that they were all a lot like us. The assembly began to assemble. And they began to gather in Jerusalem. And that felt really good to come together. People would encourage each other and bless each other and learn about Jesus and the apostles would teach but there was really no need to go into all the world because everything's fine right here. My job's here. My family's here. And so then persecution broke out, and that pushed them out of Jerusalem, and they all went about 100 or so miles away. But they were like, this is far. enough, this is enough world for me. This enough nations for me. My point is, the gathering started gathering, but the movement stopped moving. Jesus said, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell, the powers of hell are not going to prevail against it. But based on the work of the disciples that Jesus himself trained, it got about a few hundred miles out of Jerusalem and it stalled. Now, this next part, I am totally making up. I think there was a conference in heaven. I think the father looked at the son and said, son, those guys you trade to get the movement moving are not moving. (laughs) They must have thought you said neighbor, not nations. What's going on? You know what, son? we got to find someone else, someone who can carry the ball way out there, someone that's outside the box. Now, this isn't in the Bible. If you find this in the Bible, let me know, because i got to find that translation and get rid of it. <laughs> we got to find someone who knows how to get things done. we got to find someone courageous and a risk-taker. I have no idea if God has a southern accent, but if he does, this is what he would sound like someone who will get in a boat and go, someone who's got some education and some connections, who's cause-oriented, someone who will not take no for an answer. Maybe if he's a Roman citizen, that'll make it a little easier on him. We need a mover to get things moving, and just for kicks, this will be hilarious. You're going to love this. Let's make sure he's a Pharisee. <laughs> and Jesus is like, well, I mean, I don't know. And then God's like, What about that guy? And he points at Saul of Tarsus. And I'm sure Jesus said to him, "Uh, he's trying to destroy everything I started. And God's like, see, he's perfect. (laughs) Let's get a hold of him and take all that fire and vinegar he's got going on and put it behind our movement. And so Jesus goes and has a one-on-one consultation with Saul of Tarsus. If you are struggling with your faith, the biggest problem you have to believing in Jesus is Saul of Tarsus. (laughs) There is no reason in the world why a man who hated Christianity was killing Christians. His one life purpose was to end Christianity and then, bam, he meets Jesus and he is the mover that gets things moving, the goer that gets things going. He wrote... (laughs) He wrote most of his letters before the Gospels were written. Okay? So this guy is a problem for unbelievers. No one knows what to do with Saul. No one knew what to do with Saul then. I did make up a lot of that stuff, but I didn't make up Saul. Okay? I was just trying to to get you there. I wanted you to see. So Saul begins his ministry as an encounter with Jesus. He's impossible to explain away. And after a period of time... He ends up back in Jerusalem. Paul knew Peter, James, and John, and all these guys. Knew them personally. This is kind of a map of his different missionary journeys. But at some point, Paul went to Jerusalem. He had a powwow with with the major apostles. And and to make it short and probably, I don't mean to be irreverent, but it it probably ended up something like this. Okay, guys, you take Jerusalem, Samaria, and Judea. I'll just take the rest of the world, okay? Stay out of my way. And Paul began to travel, and he spent 25 or so years, I mean 30 years, uh, sailing, moving all over the Mediterranean. He traveled and traveled. He mended tents to make a living, uh, and he preached the message of Jesus. He was harassed. He was ridiculed. He was beaten and beaten again. It's possible they even killed him one time, and he rose from the dead. It's, a, it's been theorized. And so, uh, but in his wake... He left little ecclesia, Jesus assemblies, just little pockets of people who had one thing in common. They believed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and was exactly who he said he was. That was the only thing that held them together. Wow. So, let's fast forward. Paul's 63 years old. It's his last day. He's been sailing and walking the Asian world and the Middle Eastern world for close to 30 years. The Roman guards come to get him. Nero has condemned him to die. He's about to be beheaded. And they're walking Paul out of that disgusting Roman jail to where his life is going to end. He passes the Roman Forum. This is what's left of it. Just a picture of a place where court cases and legal things matters were were settled. And Paul's walking out to his death. You have to wonder. You have to wonder how Paul felt at that moment. He had just given everything. Everything the last several decades of his life. He'd given everything to Jesus. He'd given everything to the Jesus assemblies that Jesus gathers, But all they are in, at this time in history is pockets of people scattered all over the Middle East and the Mediterranean. And he's walking past, and at this time, the Roman Forum's in full usage, and it's, it's beautiful, and it's an incredible thing to see. And so you have to wonder, did my life count? Did it make a difference at all? As he's going to, to lay down his life as he's headed outside of the city. Because he's surrounded by pagans, paganism, pagan symbols. Everywhere he looks, he's he's in the midst of this darkness of the Roman Empire, which was incredibly dark at that time. And then he he walks past Nero's circus, where later Peter would be hung upside down. Where Christians died, they they were put on pikes and set on fire to light Nero's gardens. The life of a Christian in Paul's day was worthless. Absolutely worthless. And he walks past the the circus of Nero, nero circus and you, ask, you have to wonder did we make a difference did we make a change the building you see is built on nero circus today it's the basilica of saint peter it's a cathedral the roman empire is long gone but christianity stands because jesus said I will build my church. And when the movement stops moving, I'll find someone else to move the movement into moving again. So Paul walks past this and see, you see these things. People don't go to Rome today to visit the graves of a Caesar or Nero. They do go looking for the prison that Paul was held in, the possible grave of Peter, People name their kids, Peter and Paul. And they name their dogs, Caesar and Nero. That's the Colosseum. No one knows how many Christians were eaten alive by lions in that structure. A Christian's life was worthless. As Paul's being led past these structures in their heyday did it matter how amazing it would be to have been a voice in Paul's ear Hey, it mattered. I live in a part of the world that you didn't even know existed but because of your faithfulness and your sacrifice I too am part of the Jesus assembly Rome is in ashes. Rome is in history books. But every Sunday we meet and we talk about Jesus. And every week we meet in our groups. And every Christmas we talk about Caesar Augustus. Not because we care about Caesar Augustus, but because he happened to tax people when our Savior was born. Like we said last week, if you struggle with your faith you have to start somewhere if Jesus didn't rise from the dead there is no way on this earth you and I would be here today this church would not exist there would be no reason to no one would have had faith in Jesus if he had not resurrected from the dead and by the fact that he resurrected from the dead by the way that's a cross in the Colosseum that stands there in memoriam to all the Christians who died there all those pagan symbols that once adorned Rome have crumbled into ash but the symbols of our Savior and our faith have risen anew and have been maintained for thousands of years and so Jesus said now I say to you You are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer. Just like God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, and his promise to Jacob, and his promise to David, and his promises over and over again, and we'll talk about in the next few weeks about Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and some others. Just like Jesus fulfilled his promise, Jesus fulfilled this promise. He would build his church. So that moves us to the invitation. And what I mean by that is, Jesus said to his disciples, I, speaking of Jesus, have all authority. I've I've beaten everything that needs to be beaten, overcome everything that has to be overcome. Sin, death, hell, beat it all. And three days in a grave and now I'm alive, I have all authority, so therefore, you, you, us, the Jesus assembly, the Ecclesia, the Ecclesia that changed the Middle Eastern world and what's now the European world, changed it. That assembly. You go and you disciple nations. Discipling your neighbor is a great start. But that's not the command. The command is much larger than that. And I know, I know you hear that. Disciple nations, I can't even disciple me. I can't even get me going. And maybe that's because our target's too small. And maybe that's because our faith is in the wrong person. Maybe our faith is in ourselves. I can fix me. Jesus knows you can't fix you. That's why he died on a cross and went through a tomb and walked out the other side because he knew he's the only one who can fix any of us. And so that's what the Ecclesia is here to do. We're very radical in nature. We'll be talking a lot about that next year. But I can't start preaching next year's sermons today. Well, I can, but you'll get tired and leave. My point is this. If you you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, man, I love you. I'll have any conversation you want to have about that. And I will not try and convince you of anything. I will let you work it out. You can even get mad at me. It happens all the time. Okay? But if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that changes everything. That changes your whole world. That changes how you view the world. It changes the plane on which you live in this world, which is, again, beyond the scope of today. And so if you believe that, then there's an invitation that stands. I have all authority, therefore, go. Make disciples of the nations. Teach them to obey the things that I've commanded you. What I'm telling you is this. There's a place for you in the body of Jesus. You belong somewhere. There are some people that you belong with. And every person that I know is looking for that place, that place where they belong. And they look for it everywhere, a circle of friends, and usually they try and find it in common hobbies or common lifestyle choices, or or maybe it's a, a common place. I mean, a bar acts a whole lot like a church nowadays for a lot of people where everybody knows my name. I should have had Steve play that song. I love it when he plays that song. If Jesus is who he says he is, then that means he builds his church, and that means he adds you to it, and that means there's a place where you, you belong. I, of course, want you to belong here with us. I'm kind of selfish that way. But the bigger issue... Is have you found your place to belong the bigger issue is that have you stepped up from a foundation of faith to a greater experience of faith to a greater empowerment of faith every person in this room has something God put you here to do you have a mission you have a purpose Michael I don't think God has one for me Uh, he used uh, something to get you on this planet. That proves you have a purpose, okay? And so are you going to step up into that purpose? Or are you going to live for his purposes so you can find, uh, you will find greater fulfillment in your life? Are you going to step into his purposes? Or are you just going to keep living for you? Michael, that kind of stings. I can only say that because I've been there. There isn't a person in this room that sacrificed anything for Jesus that didn't start at a place where all they were worried about was themselves. And so I'm inviting you today into this assembly. We don't do membership here. We don't actually want members. We want disciples. We want people that follow Jesus. And so the invitation today, if I get the worship team to come forward, the invitation today is what is the next step God's calling you to? What's your step up? Is it into service? Is it, first of all, that I need to 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 decide to let go of my mistakenness and step into his salvation, his gift and grace, and I need to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Maybe that's the first step. Maybe it needs, means you need to step into service. Maybe it ne- me, means you need to use your gifts for something, your resources for something. My point is that Jesus Christ did all of this to build the ecclesia, the assembly. And you're part of that. So step into that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. I thank you that Jesus Christ overcame everything. I thank you that you touched a guy named Paul. And as much as I love the other disciples, Paul's the primary reason that I believe in Jesus today i thank you lord that in my own personal life you called me to do something you called me to step into your kingdom and and follow you i thank you that the call that i have is no different than any call in this room that we are all called by god to make a difference and to do things that matter in this world i pray lord god that as you've spoken into people's lives today I pray that you give them the courage to take the next step, even if they don't know what it is. <laughs> and sometimes that's how it is. I know God wants me to do more. I have no idea what that is right now. But I'm willing, and I'll take that step. I pray, Lord God, that you would help people to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's stand, and while we're about to sing, I'm going to hand this to Steve in just a second. I'm going to be up here, and we want to pray with people. I've got some folks that are going to help me pray with people. If we can pray over your life, You can come down the center aisle, side aisle, just come to me. Let us pray over you. Let us pray over you. Even if it's not about the message today, if you just need a miracle of any kind, let us pray over you, please. Pastor Steve?